The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. A podcast so great, sometimes we do more than five shows a week. We did six this past week. Actually, seven, I guess, because uh, the Browns hired Kevin Stefanski. You know, sometimes news breaks. Ten? I mean, is this emergency pod right now? Do we have new news on something? Uh, as we were starting this podcast, Joe Brady, LSU passing game coordinator, was hired after one year with LSU, wins a national title, uh, going to be hired by the Carolina Panthers and Matt Rule. See, like that doesn't rise to the level of emergency podcast. And really, when we say emergency podcast, I'm Will Brinson, by the way. That voice you hear, Brady Quinn, Ryan Wilson, of course, joining us because this is a pew, 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 Brady Quinn football show. Um, the uh, when we, and it's on YouTube, youtube.com slash CBS Sports. When we say emergency podcast, what we really mean is breaking news podcast something that rises to the level that will interest our fans enough our subscribers the people who engage in content that we want to offer them the opportunity to consume more content if they want it that's the beauty of podcast it's voluntary brady you can subscribe and download rate review but you don't have to listen to the whole thing no no you don't but you should want to right that's not the whole point What's the point of doing anything if you're not going to have people actually listen to you on a podcast? So, but they do that listen. Would be, that would, well, but you just said you don't even have to listen to all of it. So, well, what I'm saying is that the consumption, you as a consumer can choose whatever you want to consume. That's the right. beauty of the podcast. Right. And, and much like every human being out there, you can only eat so much. You can only consume so much. This isn't seven where we're going to force feed you to death, right? <laughs> uh, you can only eat so much. So, uh, hey, hey, look, be listen. careful sometimes about how much you put out there, if you know what I mean. Two thoughts on that. One, it's always Thanksgiving on this podcast. And two, I, I'm a fan of sin, so you know I like gluttony. Um, but we'll dive into it. Well, right, you know what? We're going to uh, react in a quick and expedient fashion to the t- national title game. How about that? Does that sound good? Do we want to react to breaking news first, or you guys have another emergency podcast after this? We would not. A hiring and a firing qualifies as an emergency podcast because we want to lay out the scene and lay out what we know about the coaches. We don't make judgments. We try to be nuanced, rational, reasonable, give good takes. Hey, uh, Brady, let let me put this out there. Go ahead. Go ahead. I just want to say, Brinson is, I've never rarely seen him react this way, which means he actually is offended. I just want to know, how how do you feel having hurt Brinson's feelings? (laughs) I I, I mean, I, I feel bad that I've hurt his feelings. Um, 
I mean, I, we're, we're, my, my life, my story, my, my whole journey, uh, is one in where you've developed a lot of thick skin. And I think that's the hardest thing for a lot of players is when you leave, you know, being in a locker room, uh, you have to understand that like you can't handle things the same way as you would have in the locker room where you can be very blunt and very upfront and honest with people and say how you feel. Sometimes you got to sugarcoat things. Like that is something that I'm learning the older I get in life pretty much with everyone outside of the locker room. You got to sugarcoat things. So see, uh, it's a life lesson but, for me. But, but see, I would, I would make this argument and look, th- this is stupid. So this doesn't sound like some passive aggressive BS. Uh, Brady was on a different podcast and I thought actually you made a very good point. Now I disagree with your example, I wish you had used our name in our podcast. Just call me out. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But I do agree with your point, especially as it relates to the NFL. We say, oh, my goodness, great hire. And then two years later, a guy's fired because he can't win football games. Or we say, what an amazing draft pick. Slam dunk. A plus. This team killed it in the draft. And then two years later, it's Johnny Manziel and Justin Gilbert. So, like, I, I get it. You're not wrong. We jump to conclusions. And, in fact, we spin cycle through far too many things. Like, we're going to spend... I don't know, 48 hours on the national championship game. And then it's going to be what, like, who's like before the championship game ended, we had 2021 national championship odds and 2021 Heisman odds out. Like nothing is allowed to breathe in modern society and look guilty is charged because we got to get on Twitter with the takes and we got to bang out the content. I get it. I'm gu- guilty. Um, Ryan, more of an old soul willing to let it breathe. And Brady, I think you are too. I think we all agree that if in a perfect world, we would be allowed to open the bottle of wine, let it sit there, you know, let it breathe, and then indulge. But unfortunately, such is the life of podcasting. Well, I, I don't even blame you. I, I blame Debo actually for forcing you and Ryan to have to do so many podcasts. I mean, I'm just, I'm just gonna go ahead and put it on the producer. He's the one that is forcing you guys to do all this. I mean, I, I know Ryan's been quiet because, again, he doesn't want to say anything or bite the hand that feeds him in this case. <laughs> um, for the record, I will say I had to throw out. Oh, sorry, go ahead. If you're gonna blame anyone, Debo, I think, is at the very bottom of the list. Brentson would be near the top. Just so we're clear. <laughs> Look, Brady and I are friends. I'm not actually offended. My feelings are not hurt. Um, I don't, I don't disagree with the things that he said in in a global scale. But I feel I'm with you on the blunt stuff. I don't like to sit. I'm not gonna sit behind a wall and be like and like talk about. You know, whatever. The funny thing is that you feel like it pertains to you. And there's a reason I mean, why I didn't name a specific podcast because even though I was referring to sometimes how many we put, put out, it was also generally. And so that's why I didn't name a specific podcast because I think you know at this point in time, if I was going to name you or a podcast, I would just say it. I don't really hold back much. So that was why I didn't. But since you wanted to make this whole big ordeal, let's just pull the curtain back. That's fine. That's fine. I like okay. pulling the curtain back. Um, also, look, I was going for a trifecta. I got a uh, Bill Simmons name dropped me. I got a name check on the Around the NFL podcast. I was looking for the MMQB podcast. So I was going to put it in my portfolio, let my brand roll, and there we go. By the way, speaking of name checking people, Brady's like mad that I brought this up, I feel like. Um, We're 10 minutes into a podcast. We haven't talked about football at all. So, oh, yeah. Get... Yeah. <laughs> fine. Welcome to, the, welcome to the Big Six podcast. Um, Jamie Eisenberg nominated by the fantasy writers, whatever association, best column <laughs> of the year, the great Jamie Eisenberg. He's out in Vegas. I think hopefully getting his award. 
and Fantasy Football Today, one of our other podcasts nominated for an award. So congratulations to those guys. Also, congratulations to uh, Joe Burrow and LSU for winning the national title and stripping me of every really scent that I have in life because I put it all on Clemson like a dumbass. That didn't work out well for me. Um, man, what do you, what do you, let's, in all seriousness, let's, let's dive into this. Um, now that we're 10 minutes in, Joe Burrow is awesome. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know what else to take away from it other than like this guy has an unbelievable amount of swagger. He wore a big D Joe hat after the game while smoking a cigar in, in Nola. He got fitted for a championship ring before the game itself. Um, and then he backs it all up on the field by playing with what appeared to possibly be a broken rib um, after taking a huge shot at the end of the first half. And by playing with this, he never felt out of, he never looked out of control. He didn't look out of control all season, looked very comfortable, makes all the throws. And it's hard not to be in love with the idea that he could be a franchise changing quarterback. If I was the Bengals, I'd start negotiating the contract now. I mean, you can do all your work on all the other, you know, guys you're going to draft to potentially sign and look at free agency, but, uh, it, it, they're moving on from Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow's going to be the guy. So why, why waste any more time, you know, trying to evaluate him? I think you, you try to sign him. You're technically able to. You have the first pick, uh, and you get him that playbook as soon as possible. And so you don't have to, um, you know, worry about, you know, an even longer learning curve for him with this new system. Now, the interesting thing and why this kind of collides for me, and I'll get to the game where we'll talk about the game in a second is if Joe Brady does move on to the NFL level, it's surprising to me that Zach Taylor wouldn't want to bring him in as his OC. Like I think much like Arizona did with Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray, if you're going to go all in on a number one overall pick and a quarterback, why not bring in Joe Brady instead of letting him go to the Carolina Panthers? Like it just, yeah. it doesn't make as much sense to me. What's the, what am I missing outside of the connection of, I, you know what? I don't even know what the hell the connection is. What's the connection with Joe Brady and Matt Rule? I don't even know. Brady was uh, Joe Brady was I'm, the Saints. Yeah, right? I'm not aware of any rule. Joe Brady's roots go back to obviously his time uh, with the Saints, and then before that, his time with Joe Moorhead. So, uh, who's looking like he's going to get the job out of Oregon as their offensive coordinator, moving on from Mississippi State. So, uh, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what the roots are there. Maybe just you know playing off of the success that he had at LSU and. It looks like David Tepper's willing to shell out some money, so maybe he's willing to give him a little bit of decent coin. I'm curious to see what uh, Ryan has to think about it. Brady, I'm I'm not upset with anything we talked about the first ten minutes, but I am upset that you didn't mention Joe Brady went to William Mary. That is where I draw the line. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm I'm proud I'm proud of that guy, which is what I can say as an old person. Um, and uh, he talked about it before the a few days ago during the uh, media days about how his roots go back to Jimmy Laycock, who coached at William Mary for like 50 years or something. He was at the pregame show when the Steelers on the field when the Steelers played the uh, the Bills. So uh, and he's an offensive guy. So so that's sort of where it started. But I, I think you're right. I don't know the link between Rule and and Joe Brady. I don't know why if you're Zach Taylor, you wouldn't immediately your first call is to Joe Burrow's agent. Your second call is, is to Joe Brady and get that sorted out right now. Um, but Brentson's right. I watched probably 11 of the 14 or 15 games LSU played, and every week it was the exact same thing. And not only was it the exact same thing in terms of how well Joe Burrow played, he got better. He got better against better teams. I think they played seven teams in the top ten, and he dominated every last one of those teams. And to the point where you just couldn't you couldn't make sense of how someone who was a day three pick probably coming into the season made the the progress he made. 
in such a short amount of time. You could even say it was a 12 month turnaround, in which case it's still mind boggling what he was able to do, the level at which he was able to do it. I thought for maybe a series, maybe a series and a half in the championship game that, okay, this is for real. He's going to be rattled a little bit. Clemson got off to a pretty good start defensively, and then it just clicked, and, and that was a wrap. Justin Jefferson got involved. Uh, Jamar Chase did what he usually does. Thaddeus Moss was a big part of what they were doing. And then Clyde, Clyde Edwards-Alaire got hot towards the end, and there were no answers for that Clemson defense, which we know – uh, with Brett Venables is one of the best defenses in, in college football. And it, it wasn't, they weren't blown out, but it was to the point where you felt pretty comfortable in the last quarter that, that Clemson, they, they had pretty much, uh, worked, um, given up any chance they had to come back. I thought Joe Burrow did something that we haven't seen, um, we haven't seen in the past two years. And that was, he made Trevor Lawrence press. Like he made Trevor yeah. Lawrence feel his presence from across the field. When you look at Trevor Lawrence's performance in this game, because these two are going to be, you know, always compared to one another, because they're probably going to be the, the first overall pick in the next two drafts. Um, in the second half, when, you know, it wasn't like the, the game was nece- necessarily out of reach, but I think when LSU started to distance themselves, Trevor Lawrence really started to press. He started to overstride. He started to try to put too much in the balls with the, you know, multiple overthrows. And he just looked out of sync. He looked out of rhythm. He looked uncomfortable. And it wasn't even necessarily times when there was that great of a rush from LSU or pressure. Granted, their defense did a good job, but there was times when he had enough room in the pocket or he had a clean pocket and he was missing some open guys. And that to me was more of him actually feeling the guy across from him, something that he really hasn't felt in the past two years. You can talk about their comeback versus Ohio State that was kind of aided, though, by the officials with the controversial call and the fumble. That was a return potentially for a touchdown. Either way, it took off points for Ohio State. Uh, and then the Sean Wade targeting, getting him ejected, not only prolonged that drive, but took one of their better DBs out of the game. Uh, and so there was a little bit more help in that case. It almost felt like at times Trevor Lawrence was like, you know, he felt helpless. You know, as, as LSU started to kind of build a lead and get that momentum back, he just felt helpless playing in that environment playing against what is just an offensive juggernaut in LSU with Joe Burrow at quarterback. Ryan, you said before the national championship game, so this is not a knee-jerk react. Like, it's not like you're like, well, I saw that game. Because I think a lot of people would see that game and be like, well, you got to take Burrow over Lawrence. You would take Joe Burrow over Trevor Lawrence as a prospect, right? Yeah, we talked about it here on this podcast back in December. And and I brought (laughs) it up. And right now, I would. I would have taken him before the, the national title game as well. But just what he has done, Joe Burrow, and athletically, he is not even close to Trevor Lawrence. He might be able to keep up with Trevor Lawrence in a foot race, but if we're doing pass, punt, and kick, Trevor Lawrence is dominating that competition. And um, in a lot of ways, Trevor Lawrence played last night the way we saw Justin Herbert play when we were down on Justin Herbert. The difference is that's the first time Trevor Lawrence has played like that in 25 games or whatever, whatever it is, however long the winning streak was in his two years at Clemson. But I think in terms of consistency – and the 2019 season, Joe Burrow is it. And I, I know, and Brady knows this, as he's talked about, you can fall in love with the measurables, and I get all that with, with Trevor Lawrence, and he'd probably be a fantastic NFL player, and I have no doubt about that. But just what Joe Burrow was able to do, and the fact that he did it under some less than ideal circumstances last night, that made me feel a little better about the idea of going to Cincinnati and having to replicate that there to some degree. But, yeah, I'm Team Burrow all the way, and, and I, I love his story. I think he should be the first overall pick. I'll ask you guys this, though. 
If, if the roles were reversed, if Trevor Lawrence was playing in that LSU offense last night, would that game have been any different? I, I don't, I don't think so. I like, I think that LSU would, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I agree with you is what I'm trying to say. I, I, I agree with your hypothesis. And I think Trevor Lawrence, you're right. Like I think Clemson pressed and correct me if I'm wrong. Did their OC, OC left or took South Florida's job? He, he right? was still there. Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott. Jeff Scott's leaving right. for the USF job, but he hasn't left That's yet. That's right. But, but I mean like that, I mean, the reality is when you take another head coaching job and you're playing and all that stuff, it takes off your plate and all that. Um, Clemson, after Travis Etienne scored, I saw a stat. He only ran the ball one more time. They, they got out of sync with what they wanted to do on offense. They felt, I think that there's a similarity, Brady, to the Chiefs and the, um, uh, Texans game where it's like, I mean, holy bleep. Like, here comes the, here comes the tidal wave. And especially going into the first, going into the first half. And Dabo, you could see the frustration on his face when he was talking to whoever he was going into the halftime, but the third and 19 DPI penalty, just brutal. I mean, it was a bad throw by Burrow. It was underthrown, um, to, to get that penalty and to give LSU another chance. And then with 21 seconds left and no timeouts after just using a timeout, they call the QB draw and Joe Burrow runs for like 27 yards. Ballsy as hell to call that play. Great execution by Burrow. He never panicked. He didn't try to get down and then set up a, a field goal. Got out of bounds. You knew they'd have multiple shots and Clemson just got completely baffled in coverage. Thaddeus Moss, easy touchdown. That felt like, man, they're getting the ball back. That's a Patriot special. And, and so, yeah, I mean, like, I think I, I think you could just see Clemson press. You're right. And Trevor Lawrence, they had a three and out that was 50 seconds long. They had a touchdown pass to D Higgins. that was probably shouldn't have been offensive PI that, that would have gotten them back within 10. Maybe they come back and cover who knows, but LSU just, it just, you could feel the explosion of talent at wide receiver and at running back and on the offensive line. I mean, these guys just took off and Trevor Lawrence played like crap. He was, he just wasn't very good. Fumbled once. Missed a ton of passes high. I mean, that's just bottom line. It's fine. He's a great player. I would take him over Joe Burrow right now. I don't know about you, Brady, but he didn't play well. No, he didn't play well. I mean, this, this is his worst performance, and this is coming off of a year where last year as a true freshman, he had arguably one of his best performances in a national championship game on the big stage. And so we've kind of seen both sides of this. Uh, and it's not like his first half was that bad. And, and, and Will, I'm, I'm glad you um, touched on the offensive pass interference that really wasn't. Uh, which is not shocking considering it was a Pac-12 officiating crew and there's ah. usually a little, little, uh, there's a little bit of controversy involving that group. Um, but yeah, he, he just looked out of sync, out of sorts, but I think you touched on something that was even bigger with the lack of Travis Etienne in the second half. He was their best player and they got away from him and it wasn't just running the football. It was getting the ball to him, the passing game, the screen game. And they went away from that and, and they lost one of their best wide receivers. I can't remember. I think it was, uh, was a Higgins for a minute. Higgins. Yeah, Higgins was gone for a large chunk of time and after he took that shot from uh to the thigh from Delpit, right? Yeah, yeah and, Delpit. and 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 it's like so he didn't really have as much. Like if you really look at the, the construct of the Clemson offense, like Galloway came out their tight end who hadn't even a reception before the game, and you get really got to credit Barrett Salee with this because Barrett talked about it, the fact that they were kind of waiting on him all year. He all of a sudden had an impact in that game. Uh, early on. And then they, they kind of went back to the normal, like, okay, if you're going to load up the box, we're going to throw outside to Higgins and Ross in one-on-one scenarios. And maybe Amani, uh, you know, Rogers in the slot a little bit. But if you look at the sum of the parts, it's not even close to what LSU has with Moss and what a mismatch he is and with the three wide receivers and Chase uh, Jefferson and Marshall and then Clyde Edwards-Elair. So 
once that once that momentum built it just became insurmountable to stop and then it's like Clemson just needed something to go their way and nothing really did down the stretch the OPI the targeting call and their line you know middle linebacker you know getting booted there like all those things end up kind of adding it up to just never really being able to close the gap that being said Trevor Lawrence is younger he's got more upside more potential and I think he will continue to keep growing and improving I've got more concerns, I think, even though as great as Joe Burrow was, when you go to the NFL and you're going to a team that's the worst team in football the year before, there's going to be a lot of things you got to figure out. And, and what happens if the offense is going to be different, drastically different than what he ran with LSU? You know, I think he's smart. I think he can learn it, but there's going to be a learning curve there and there's, there's going to be some, some adversity. And, you know, he, he might handle well, but if, if it looks like what it did last year for LSU, then that's an average season. Um, cause that's what it was last year. I mean, they were, he was average at best. And so he took this monumental leap largely due to Joe Brady, but he's not going to be with Joe Brady. So it, it's just, it's a different level. It's a different thing. I, I think, um, Joe Burrow will be fine in the long run, but his situation next year and, and with the Bengals is going to be drastically different than what it's going to be like, uh, or at least what he had this year. Yeah. And look, it's possible that he ends up having. Um, AJ Green, John Ross, Tyler Boyd. I mean, like he could end up having a pretty nice group of weapons at Cincinnati. That offensive line, though, I, I don't think got enough credit for what it did. Um, after the look, Brent, not to recap this whole game because we want to get in the draft stuff, and I'm curious about all these different players in this game. But like Brent Venables had an incredible game plan out of the gate. That was it, like a three-three-one stack or whatever. I, I don't even know exactly what it was, but he was just bringing pressure all over the place. They punt and pinned LSU twice. They were getting after Brady and I mean, getting after Burrow, excuse me. And then Joe Brady and the offensive staff um, put you know made adjustments. And Venables didn't really have a counterpunch when it came to bringing his pressure. They started picking up pressure a little bit more. And the offensive line, and this is sort of my point with Cincinnati, the offensive line played awesome for that stretch from like the the second quarter to the, you know, basically to the end of the game. They did a really good job of protecting Burrow, I thought. And um, he's not going to have that offensive line in, in Cincinnati. They have traditionally over the last few years had a pretty bad offensive line and it's hurt um and think about what they hurt. have to go up against twice a year baltimore's you know edge rushers and their defense with the pressure for martindale tj watt the pittsburgh steelers defensive line and then miles garrett i mean he's gonna be back next year for the browns i mean it's that that's that's a lot of tough edge rushers you have to go up against within just your own division Who's your biggest riser from this draft class, Ryan? Just kidding, Brady, and I shamed you from Twitter on Twitter into doing a mock draft on Tuesday. We shamed you on social media into putting Isaiah Simmons in your top five. You got shamed, son. What are you talking about? I've had Isaiah Simmons going to the top ten several times in the last month and a half or so. I went back and double checked just to make sure because Tommy T was trying to call me out too, and Tommy T doesn't call out anybody. So uh yeah, so I actually did move him up though, straight up. I had him going twelfth. And then I watched the game, and I was like, all right, he's actually balling out. So I moved up. <laughs> well, partly because I didn't want to hear Brady and Pete yelling at me on, on the show. <laughs> on with Pete's not going to yell at you. He wasn't watching. He was in bed by then. Yeah. You you changed it during the LSU Clemson game. You're like – because, I mean, they I, – like, I watched a lot – I guess – I mean, like, they put him out against running backs in, like, out in outside coverage. They put him up as a safety. The guy's insane. Did Did you see, by the way, how the beginning of that game went? If you kind of go back and watch again, pay close attention to how many balls were targeted the way of Isaiah Simmons. And LSU wasn't having much success. And, and I was kind of watching and thinking to myself, what is the game plan here? Like, Isaiah Simmons was matched on Thaddeus Moss at times. Like, that ain't going to work. Like, that's not the guy I'm working towards. 
And it, it, like at the beginning of the game, it was like probably four or five times the ball was thrown in the direction of Isaiah Simmons. And I kind of kept thinking to myself, you're eventually going to pay for that. And I think LSU made a conscious decision to not continue to keep implementing that strategy moving forward the rest of the game. But I just can't get over for his length and his height and his size how well he moves. I mean, he has got to be, as far as the draft goes, if you're going to put up the top overall prospects, and Joe Burrow's obviously in that category, still to me the most bulletproof one is Chase Young. Then you're probably looking at a combination of Burrow, Derek Brown, and, and then Isaiah Simmons. Like those four to me, with what they've done, what I saw on film this year, Jeffrey Okuda probably five. Like those are the top five prospects that I've got. Okuda, the cornerback at Ohio State, uh, and looking at their film and how well they played. Uh, and, and look, will they go in that, you know, somewhere in the top five? I have no idea. You know, a quarterback could end up going somewhere, but those five guys I think stood out to me. And Isaiah Simmons is rightfully right in that spot with his versatility, with his size and, and with what he's able to do. I can't wait to watch him in the combine. You know, we're going to get to see him up close and personal running and, and moving around that I imagine he's going to test well. Yeah, I've described him as a bigger Derwin James and I'm with you. I like, he is so freakishly athletic. He just blows you away. When you're watching through the television and when we see him in person, I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be love at first sight for a lot of people. But it's funny you say all those things, Brady, and I'm with you like 99%. But I was talking to a, a league evaluator, maybe November, early December, and I was asking him about Simmons because like, oh, this is going to be a layup. What are, what are your thoughts? And he said, he, he said, I don't love him. And I said, what? And he said, I don't think he's a very good tackler. He's not good in man coverage. He's not a free safety, even though he, he plays literally everywhere on the field. Um, and he had questions about, taking on blocks. So I do wonder if, and this happens sometimes in, in social media, Twitter world, where we lo- fall in love with guys and we sort of group think it in, into existence where he's one of the best players on the planet. I swear to God, it looks exactly like, like he is one of the best players when you watch him play. But I do wonder if NFL teams have different opinions. And um, obviously we'll find out more about that next week at the Senior Bowl when I'm there. Um, Isaiah won't be there, unfortunately, but I'm sure people will be chit-chatting about it in the course of the Combine a few weeks after that. So that's just something um, I thought was interesting because I have not seen one thing in terms of uh, things Isaiah Simmons has done to make me think, I don't know if this guy's the top 15 pick because everything screams, I mean, elite talent at the next level. Hey, Brady, curious. Ryan has him going to the Giants at four in this latest rendition of the mock draft. Is there anybody that you can think? I mean, it's like, hey, who would Derwin James fit on? Like, obviously there are a lot of fits, but there are any teams that pop out? Detroit, but is three too high to take him there? You know, you think about those New England Patriot defenses. They love guys who can match up and play anywhere, right? Like Jamie Collins, the Kyle Van Noy. This is a little bit different because of where he plays, but uh, maybe Matt Patricia becomes wild uh, by by his versatility and how that can work within their defense. You know, problem is there's a number of holes in that defense that you might want to fill. Um, and so Derek Brown could make some sense there too. And you don't know that someone's not going to trade up into that spot. And so maybe it doesn't end up being, uh, in the top five, or maybe it does be if they, you know, does if they trade it back with, uh, Miami at five. Uh, maybe that makes some sense. But, um, then look, Miami could obviously use them, you know, but they'd be obviously would be trading up for a quarterback or probably taking a quarterback at, at that spot. I would imagine if, if two is still there and if the medical grades come back. So, um, I could see him going as high as three, to be quite honest with you, given some of the needs for Detroit. Hmm. Um, you know what? I stopped looking at the rundown a second ago, getting all hot and lathered about Joe Brady Isaiah, and Charlotte. Isaiah Simmons. Isaiah Simmons, too, man. Um, hey, uh, just by the way, some, oh, I, I was going to talk about some Joe other Brady. guys that kind of stood out, just because yeah, I, I know we've got a list. 
Caleb Levon, Chase on, Justin Jefferson, T. Higgins. We've got those guys in the rundown. What about Patrick Queen? I mean, that guy stood out to me. He kind of fit into that mold of, you know, he's six foot one, about 230 pounds, but a guy who can play linebacker, a guy who can play off the edge and blitz and pressure, um, decent in coverage, but he's a guy who, you know, he's not going to be a first round guy, but probably a guy if he did leave and decided to come out, I believe he's a junior there at LSU. Um, you know, he would be taken somewhere in the mid rounds, I, I, I think. I, I think he, he actually earned himself some money based on how he played last night and what he was able to do this season. I'm with you. I'm with you. He, and that's one of those things where you explode in those big games. And obviously NFL teams know who you are, but everyone else knows who you are too. And, and again, it's the momentum, whether you, you want to believe it or not. But I think sometimes these things take on a life of their own, good or bad. But he was balling out, especially in terms of wrapping up tackling. And um, just just the, the level at which he was playing was so much higher than I'd, I'd seen previously this season. I haven't watched him closely. Uh, just saw him flash last night. But I, I love what he was doing. And, and you know this, Brady, if you have guys who are athletes, and we see a lot of these new head coaches coming into the NFL talking about we have certain type guys we want, that dude, Patrick Queen, checks a lot of boxes, even if it means he starts on special teams and just crushes people there for a year or two, and then he graduates into a, a job on the field. Those are the type of players you want because they're athletes first, and they can do a lot, and, and they seem to do it at, at a really high level, at least last Reminds night. Reminds me uh, of Corey Littleton for the Rams, a guy who really started off with the Rams special teams and worked his way in. Hold on, uh, Robbie wants to say hello to you guys. Robbie, can you say hey to Mr. Brady and Mr. Ryan? Hey! What's hey, up, Robbie? Robbie? <laughs> what do you got in your hand, buddy? What is that? What is that? What did you bring? What is this? A ballerina! Great job! Alright, go eat some supper. Very cool. Right. Oh, she twirls! Amazing! Alright, that's very cool, buddy. Alright, Daddy's got a podcast. Oh, she twirls! Amazing! Great job! I'll see you in a minute. <laughs> oh, I'll never forget the hit where Will, was, I believe, was trying to get someone out of the room. Do you remember this, Will? Oh, Robbie came walking in on a like a CBS News video hit, and he like right. popped in. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard, I heard, uh, I heard the door, the that pin went flying. Um, I heard, uh, I heard the door open, and then I heard Dad, Dad, and you could tell he was gonna come up, and I thought it'd be fun. Um. I'm talking, I'm doing a podcast. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> then he sorry. yells at him. <laughs> yeah, that was my wife. That was, that was AK uh, who says unsubscribe. Um, anyway. <laughs> that what she said? Yeah, she yelled unsubscribe and walked so out. So apparently she's not the only other, uh, non-fan of the emergency podcast. Is that what we're saying? Oh, hates the emergency podcast. Hates it. Thinks they're stupid. Hates EK. Uh, hates Debo, hates everybody. I was going to say, if, Will, if things don't work out, you can basically blame, uh, any fault on EK and on Debo. So. Yeah. Debo, Debo is the reverse fall guy. Debo gets credit for everything. Uh, very quickly. Kalevon Chase, is it Chase on? Kalevon Chase on. Okay. I like that name. Brinson Sox. There we go. Thank you. Good, 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 great. Um, that was right. Where do you go in your mock, Ryan? Oh, 18. Let's see. Just let's kidding. See. It was 18 oh, thank you. I was too busy digging up my Brenton Sucks hat to, to look. Yeah, um, I love him. The thing is, he's undersized. He's like he's listed at 240. I don't know if he's bigger than that or not. So he's going to need to pack on some weight. But he plays a lot stronger than 245 or whatever he happens to be. And he flashes a lot. He gives uh, much bigger offensive linemen, obviously, a lot of trouble when he gets underneath them. He's quick around the edge. Uh, they ask him to drop into coverage a little bit too. But, uh, I mean, just in terms of explosiveness, and if you're looking for an edge rusher like the Dolphins are, you just stick him out there in third down situations and say go crazy, and then you sort of work him into the 
you know, a, a, a fuller time role when he puts on some pounds. Yeah, he's one of those guys that fits in the Floreses who comes from the New England tree, that scheme. We talk about versatility. Uh, Caleb Von Chason definitely fits in that, you know, that category, you know, playing linebacker, can play off the ball, can play on the ball, can pressure well. Um, so he, he's got all those traits. Um, and, and obviously the LSU defense has a number of players that fit in that category. The one player I've been kind of down on that you had in the mock draft was, was Grant Delpit. I uh, just didn't have as good of a year as he did a year ago. And from just watching him at times, uh, it almost felt like he played a little bit out of control. Uh, I worry, I, I wonder about a little bit of coverage in times too. Um, but that was, that was one of the players that just from watching him, I think coming in this season, everyone looks at him and says, you know, surefire first round pick because of his athleticism, his size, his speed, all those intangibles, um, uh, that, that he brings along with him and the film last year. Uh, this year the film doesn't quite match uh, as, as well, but I, I imagine he's going to wow some people in at, at the combine and maybe that's going to be enough to convince them to go in the first round. I'm with all you, Brady. Right. I, I'm 100%. I'll do, just let me say quickly that you can break. Um, he had that ankle injury and I think that's one of the things that people are sort of, Hinging on when he gets healthy, he'll be good to go. I know Cowboys fans are clamoring for him at number 17. Uh, a lot of people like Xavier McKinney, the Alabama safety, better. Uh, he certainly played more consistently this year, but I have the exact same concerns with you because people, he- you hear about a player, then you watch him, and it doesn't really match up with what you're hearing. So, uh, hopefully it's the ankle and he starts balling out, um, you know, uh, draft season. Uh, but right, his tape in 19 didn't look anything like it did a year ago. All right. Good stuff. But you know what? We talked about a bunch of prospects, had a great, you know, hashed out some stuff, and we didn't even talk about the running backs and wide receivers. So we're going to do that after the break. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right. Break it down. LSU, Clemson. Yeah, I don't know if it was a title game for the ages. It was a very, it was, it was wildly entertaining for a big, big stretch and watching Joe, Joe Burrow carve up Clemson, do what he did. I mean, it's honestly reminded me of Trevor Lawrence carving up Alabama last year, just in terms of like, wow, okay, this is full force and you're putting it on them. Um, Clemson's offense a little bit disappointing. LSU's not at all. Let's look at the offensive skill position guys though. How many? I mean, how many, right, how many skill position guys, Ryan, do you have going in the first round right now? If you have that off the top of your head, if not, I could sort of filibuster while you try to up. Oh, the T Higgins is in there. Curious if Travis ATN is in there. I saw Brady tweet during the, by the way, call it Brady Quinn at Brady underscore Quinn. Yeah. Yep. A little mid, uh, mid off season rebranding for you on Twitter. I like, it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been that no way for a while. Oh, okay. By, nope. by the way, did you know that Ryan, so Ryan Wilson, his old Twitter <laughs> handle was Ryan Wilson underscore 07 because he got to Twitter too late, but he somehow has Ryan Wilson on Instagram. 
that's amazing. Like, did, did you have Ryan Wilson? No underscores, no stupid little letters, no CBS, nothing like that. Got on Instagram. Very proud of you, Ryan. There's um, <laughs> a lot of great pictures of your kids. So how many how many uh, how many skill position guys in, the, in that game do you have in the first round? Thank you for alerting the listeners to go look at Instagram pictures of my kids. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. So no Travis Etienne, uh, no running backs in, in the first round. And that wasn't even because of pressure from Pete, <laughs> just because, uh, I don't, I just think they're, I like the running back class a lot. I think they're five or six or seven really good players, but they're just other needs that need to be filled. And we sort of talk about that a lot. Um, but T Higgins had going this time. I'm not convinced he's a first round pick. He balled out in the AFC Championship game against UVA. He had three touchdowns over 200 receiving yards, I believe. He was injured in the bowl playoff matchup. He left there with, a, I think, a head injury, uh, came back, wasn't quite the same. And then he was injured again on Monday night against LSU, uh, came back, wasn't quite the same. And, in fact, it may be the case that Justin Ross, the, who's going to be a rising junior next year, uh, ends up being a better player than T. Higgins. But T. Higgins is 6'4". The question will be how fast will he run because we don't know exactly what his deep speed's like, but he's a high point guy and he's a, you know, big catch radius guy and all those other things. And, and I think on some level he makes sense at a place like Buffalo with the Bills. I think this time, this time around I had him going 30th to the, to the Packers, but, uh, to give, uh, Devontae Adams some help. But I think in terms of, uh, helping out Josh Allen, someone like T. Higgins who's taller than four foot eight, which is what he currently has in John Brown and Cole Beasley makes some sense. Uh, Amari Rogers is going to come back, um, I saw him play in September. He was like five months removed from an ACL, and he was running past everyone. So now it's a few months longer than that. He'll be completely healthy next year, and he's another guy, and Brady mentioned the slot guy, who, who can absolutely light people on fire when he gets the ball in his hands. T. Higgins is an interesting one to me. I'm curious to see what he's going to run in the 40. It's such a loaded class, um, and I think when you look at this group of, of wide receivers, it's going to be hard to separate yourself, you know, and, and he's got the size and length. And the big playability, I think my only concern is, you know, can he run the, a variety of routes? You know, um, one of the things when you look at a guy, especially when you're drafting in the first round, you're drafting to be that number one wide receiver. And so with that means you have to be able to run a variety of routes, isolated or not, uh, and be able to move around at times. And I'm not sure he possesses the ability to do that. Uh, want to, want to see more, you know, from him in that regard. And, and maybe we'll get to see a, you know, a greater variety of that throughout the course of the combine, the pro day, et cetera. Um, you know, looking at some of the skill position players, Christian Fulton's a guy who he had a rough night. Uh, there's no other way of putting it. Uh, they clearly didn't want to even touch Derek Stingley, who's not draft eligible. When he is, he'll be a top 10 pick, uh, for LSU. But Fulton had a rough night and there was one, uh, pass interference they called. I thought was a little bit ticky tack on it, to be quite honest with you. I thought it actually was the one that was the interception that got negated. That they called, um, you know, pass interference on him for, but uh, that was a little bit ticky tack. Outside of that, though, I, I thought he might test well, but he kind of hurt himself in regard to at least how he looked versus uh, Higgins and Ross throughout the course of the game. Uh, but back to Etn, he's a first round pick to me. Uh, I just I think someone's going to take a shot on him. I think it's going to be the first running back taken. He's so decisive. He's so explosive. He showed you how he can change the game, both catching the football out of the backfield or in the screen game. And then running the football. Um, and so he is the back to me that I think best exhibits what you need at the next level at the running back position. So um, someone's going to take him, in my opinion. I don't know if he'll go in the top 20, but I definitely think he'll go you know, somewhere after that in the next 12 picks. Uh, I'm with you. So, Oh, sorry. But not to – just to sort of look at, like, Ryan's mock here. Like, I think, you know, if you – I would be surprised if he went in the top 15, right? I think that's just too early for, for ETN. Um, I don't think the Broncos are taking. They got two running backs. 
Falcons, you never know. The Falcons are weird. They do crazy stuff, but they have Devonta Freeman, um, who they may end up cutting. Uh, Cowboys have, at 17 have uh, Zeke Elliott. Dolphins at 18, you never know. Raiders at 19, no. Jaguars 20, no. Eagles 21, I wouldn't think so. Bills 22, no. Pats 23, no. Saints 24 would actually be kind of interesting, even though they got Kamara. Um, the Vikings, no. Dolphins have two of those picks right there, so they could do it. The Seahawks, who the hell knows with them? I don't think the Ravens would do it, or the Titans, depending on what they do with Derrick Henry. Um, so, I mean, like, that's really the only problem. Is there a fit on the bottom half? Because remember, all these, you know, the stat, all these running, all these rushing, rushing teams got into the playoffs. So, like, all these teams with good running games, uh, now have to be there. But I agree with you. I think he's a first round talent. Um, I don't think I'd be shocked if the Dolphins took him either. Yeah, there's been some conversation about the Dolphins targeting a running back late. I think they have the 25th pick as well, which is Houston's. Um, but Pete will tell you, and probably Brady too, that you draft three offensive linemen if, if two is not available, uh, just because they have so much to fix. But um, no, I, I'm with you. There are like three or four guys that I like a lot at the running back position. J.K. Dobbins, ATN, DeAndre Swift, uh, Jonathan Taylor, Zach Moss. Clyde Edwards-Elair isn't a first-round pick, but he's definitely a day-two guy because he is so incredibly versatile. He caught 50 passes, I think, coming into last night's game, and he is a security blanket for Joe Burrow as much as you can have one. So he's another guy that, you know, sort of um, rising tides lift, lifts all boats situation with Joe Burrow, and that also brought more prominence um, to, to what Edwards-Elair was able to do. Um, Brady, you mentioned Christian Fulton. I want to ask you quickly about this because I was curious about this last night. Uh, on the telecast, they talked about Fulton playing a lot of outside leverage, and he kept getting beat inside, I'm assuming, because they thought he had help with Grant Delpit or, or whatever. Is there yeah. another reason he would play solely outside leverage? No, he's trying to funnel the receiver to another defender, whether that be the post high or, or middle of field defender, uh, the guy who's going to be deeper than everyone else, uh, or potentially a whole player. That could be at the linebacker level. That could be at the safety level, um, depending on which safety it is, thief, robber. All that terminology applies. Uh, but a lot of times he's going to be playing with out, outside leverage if that's the case. Uh, kind of almost daring uh, Clemson to try to run some sort of in-breaking route where then you have that whole player <clears throat> who's there to make a play on the football or make a play on the wide receiver. Uh, hence, for example, the, the the big hit by Grant Delpit on T. Higgins on the, at the thigh board. Uh, one of the reasons why that happened is because, again, he was giving him that uh, knowing that he had post-safety help. Can I ask Brady one more question? You can do whatever you want. Yeah, I'm just like reading my mentions. People are still yelling at me about stuff. Uh, well, they're probably yelling about what I'm going to ask Brady about. So do you think that hit on Delpit, from Delpit, on T. Higgins was targeting? No, not at all. Why do you I say mean, that? Because Brett took a screenshot <laughs> and a video and tweeted it out and said, how is this not targeting when Skalski's penalty was targeting? He was kicked out of the game, and he got absolutely crushed on Twitter. If you want to laugh. Well, let me, let me just say this. In regards to the rule of targeting and how that specific rule is implemented, uh, clearly, you know, you can't read intent, but it'd be nice if you could. And I think we all can watch certain hits and say, that guy was going to try to take that guy's head off and he should be ejected. And there's some that just look more harmless or, you know, the, the defender or even offensive player in that moment, depending on what we're talking, but it's a, you, always a defender in this case, uh, at least in college football. Um, you know, they weren't necessarily meaning to hit the offensive player or the defenseless player in that manner. You know, in this case, it wasn't that the wide receiver was considered defenseless. It was more the fact that he used the crown of his helmet and he lowered his head to use the crown of a helmet when he made contact. And those sorts of tackles are what we're trying to remove from the game. So unfortunately, as much as I hate to see it, 
Uh, that's, that's why the rule's there. It's for player safety and really for his own safety, not so much of the player that he's hitting, right? All of a sudden, as you duck that head and you start to duck it down like that, what you're really doing is creating a curvature in your spine. And so when you make contact like that, you're really actually putting more pressure on those portions in your cervical spine where you can get injured. And so as much as we always think about, oh, it's, it's protecting that offensive player in college football retargeting. No, it's the defensive player too. And making sure you use the proper fundamentals. And if you have a proper spine alignment, meaning if your spine's aligned straight with your head up, your, your spine's at its strongest point then. As soon as you start lowering your head and bending your neck, that's when all that force, all that impact that's absorbed in your neck ends up stopping instead of traveling down through your spine to help protect you from getting hurt. So, um, it's again, I wish there was like two, like a flagrant foul, like a flagrant one and two for this. We could figure it out from that, you know, in that way. Um, and, and he would have stayed in the game even though he would have taken the penalty. Uh, but we're just not there yet in college football. Okay. So, but I mean, like, I really felt like if you look at the Delpit hit that he lowers his and leads with the crown of his helmet, like he lowers his head. I know that I think the problem is for people that, that if you don't, if you read the rule, it doesn't matter what you're hitting. You don't have to hit, hit the neck or shoulder, head or neck area anymore. You just have to lower your head and lead with the crown of your helmet. And you I'm have not, to make, I'm not, you have to make contact with the crown of the helmet. In that case, it looked like he made contact with his shoulder. And okay. so, I mean, so he hit him. He first off, you know, the, the player has to be deemed defenseless in that instance. And so if he is defenseless, then it matters where you hit him. If he's not defenseless, it doesn't matter. It matters how you hit him. And so in this case, um, it looked like to me he was leading with the shoulder and he hit him in, in you know, in that kind of mid frame area, not above the shoulders to the head or neck. So it, it wouldn't have been really deemed a targeting call in that case. It was just a tough hit. Okay. All right. Hey, look, my mentions are fine. There's nothing wrong with my mentions right now. Uh, also, Packers fans accused, uh, Packers fans hate me and 49ers hate, fans hate me. So I'm, how by do the way, both, how do both sides hate you for an NFC championship I, game? Did you, I saw someone tweeted out a picture of a family member that's passed away and was like making a joke dead, about it. My dead grandfather. What in the world? What'd you do? Yeah. What'd you say? I, what in the world, I believe I said, uh, that was a 49ers fan. What did I say? I don't even know what I said. I didn't even say anything. I like it was, it was certainly something harmless. Um, and the guy came at me with a picture of my dead grandfather, RIP Daddy Pat, big football fan. Would have loved, you know, the fact that we do it daily. Sometimes they probably would listen to 10 podcasts a week and if knowing Daddy Pat. Um, but, uh, yeah, weird stuff out there. By the way, how about Chris Fowler on that broadcast? He's like, and of course, you know, Kirk, uh, death threats for the family. The dark side of social media, and he's just like glossed right over it, which is like, like I'm not, I'm not criticizing Fowler here. Like it's true, and it happens. It's so disturbing that that's just like a part of what's life now. It's like if you're like, because this was it was Etn right, who's from, uh, very Louisiana. near, yeah. he's from Louisiana, very near um, LSU, and he now granted Etn did troll. He said I'm going to the real Death Valley when he committed to Clemson, which perhaps unnecessary, but. Um, it's just crazy. Like he's like, yeah, you know, the of course you get the standard death threats of the family on Twitter and social media. The part standard. of 2020, the world we live in. You know, it's like it's, it doesn't feel like it's necessary. Um, oh yeah, I know. I want to I want to apologize to Packers fans because we did our podcast recap, and I don't think we did a good enough job appreciating what Aaron Rodgers. I know this is way off script, but I don't care. We didn't do a good enough job appreciating how good Aaron Rodgers was against the Seahawks. He was awesome. Okay. He was great. 
the third down throws he made, he was dropping dimes all over the place. I mean, it wasn't, I don't want to say it was like nuclear Aaron Rodgers 2015 performance or anything, or like Aaron Rodgers 2010 to 2013. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like a full game of that, but he played awesome. And if he goes nuclear against the 49ers, they can win the game. So apologies that we didn't praise Aaron Rodgers enough for his performance in that game. Anzadarius, Anzadarius. Well, and then, yeah, the, the analytics people and the Packers people, they're all yelling. I was just trying to tell them to shut up. Like that's I just, I like, I don't, the what, Packers what, are 13. I don't even want to get on a, the, the tangent of analytics. I just, the whole thing, it's like, it just blows my mind how that's such a buzzword now. People are like, oh, analytics, analytics. Like we need more analytics. Like I, I guess I'd ask you this. What is analytics to you? And, and do you guys honestly feel like that going into game games, that coaching staffs and coordinators on either side of the ball haven't had specific game plans and decisions for those scenarios based on data that they had compiled over the course of the year or even the course at times over decades of situations. Do people feel like that really didn't exist or hasn't existed for the past 20, 30 years? So the amazing thing from that Bill Belichick, Nick Saban thing on HBO, the, the, the art of coaching or whatever it was, which is really good. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Um, Belichick, at some point people were like, ooh, Belichick hates analytics because he was like, you know, he's like, I, get these guys on the plane, they're on the computers and they're, it's like, it's just about, you know, man to man tackling. But if you watch the rest of the, if you watch the whole show, he's talking about how, you know, he was clipping and putting in binders specific plays that defenses did this film study. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's what I think Brady gets lost in this. And I think you're 100% right, is that when we talk about analytics, like, it doesn't, to me, the blind, the, this is, I'm sort of, I'm, like, kind of drifting more towards your camp, Brady, because the blind devotion out there towards, like, EPA, and it it makes, it all makes sense. Like, all this stuff makes sense, but I thought that Kevin Stefanski did a good job when he was introduced as Browns coach, pointing out that it's information that you use to help make decisions. Like what you're doing is you're gathering as much information as possible so you can make a decision. That's what analytics should be. It should be a factor that comes into it. Like if you know that Clemson blitzes on, you know, 78% of the time, or let's say you know that the 49ers blitz 78% of the time on third and, and 10 or more, that's a helpful analytic. And yes, of course the coaches already have that information. It's not like they're just out there like, all right, go run the ball. Um, I just think there's a disconnect between there's like this gap of it's it's just like politics. There's a gap of space where reasonable reasonable people exist, and then on one side of the space is like analytics people screaming about it, and then on the other side is like football people screaming about it. And really, if everybody would just get off social media and like talk about it in a in a rational fashion, you'd probably come to the middle, and everybody be like, oh yeah, we agree. You can't rely solely on this or solely on this because I mean it, it it's you blend it, you get information, you make decisions in game, you make decisions about personnel. That's all it is. Well, and and what people need to understand on the outside is. Uh, all that stuff's existed forever. Forever. Yeah. I mean, we have binders thick of every single situation from third down, fourth down, gotta have it is what you'd call it, right? GTHI, you'd always have that abbreviation on your game plan. And so that's for specific scenarios, right? A gotta have it play, whether that's in fourth down, down in the red zone, whatever the case may be, right? That's on your game plan. You have those plays. They're constructed based on all the analytics and the data and information that you have from watching film and going over and generating what coverages they play versus these looks or these formations or this personnel, how often they blitz. And so you're concocting those, those plays 
based on that. That's always been the case. I, I was my last year in the league was 20, 2014. And it was like that back in my rookie year in 2007, and it was like it way before then. And so all this stuff has always been accounted for within game planning and how these play callers make decisions. Here's what people on the outside don't understand. You know what happens when you walk into a game and all the stuff that you prepared for isn't what they're showing you? That means, and that's one of the reasons, by the way, why Bill Belichick has been so successful because it's, it's pretty easy and obvious for everyone then to go based on the film, based on all these numbers, and, and play based on what they've seen over a period of time, right? Play the statistics or play wh- whatever um, the, the data and information is telling you what you should do in that scenario. And what does Bill Belichick do? He's a game plan coordinator. And so defensively, he's going to do something that you haven't seen before, something that's different and that you probably aren't prepared for because he knows exactly you know, what he's showing you too much of and what he's not showing you enough of. And so then it's like, well, then how do you factor that in? How do you factor that into your decision-making process? And that's why, and Stefanski said it best, you alluded to this, Will. He said they're, they're a tool. That's what, that's what it is. I think where you can make the most ground with analytics is sharpening your ability to identify players that fit what you want out of, um, you know, your scheme on your team. And that's from, you know, taking and compiling all the data from the combine over years based on a baseline of measurements at various positions in controlled environments. You can do that. And so you take all that information. You take the injury history and those injury grades based on your medical staff, and you take the production of what they had in college, and you combine all that to look at the guys coming in from college or guys that you're looking at in free agency. From a personnel standpoint, there's no doubt you can improve upon an analytics and you can remove biases and you can end up finding out, you know, which guys maybe make more sense and sharpen your ability to sign those guys. But in-game decision-making, play calling on all that, all that stuff's already been around. That, that's how a lot of teams have operated. It's just a wrench is thrown in the whole thing when a team comes out doing something drastically different than what you have prepared for, what you've seen on tape, and what all your data and information is telling you. And then the question is, well, what do you do then? And, and, and like, and that's the question you would ask a lot of the analytics and some people call them nerds, but I'm not going to call them that. So, Brady, I agree with everything you said, except one part where this was going on forever. I'm 100% sure this wasn't going on last year in Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens, but everything else, I think you're right. Um, you, know, you, know, you know, it doesn't make sense about that, by the way, right? Like, so supposedly now the front office is united. I, I'm sure you guys talked about this on an emergency podcast, right? Like, isn't that what you guys probably echoed? Yeah. Okay. Uh, wasn't it united with both Dorsey and Kitchens then? Because Dorsey and Kitchens like weren't a fan of Paul D. Podesta and his analytics strategy and all that stuff that he wanted to try to control or do. And so like you had a head coach and general manager united. Like what do you mean it wasn't united? It was united. It just wasn't united the way Paul D. Podesta wanted. And so now you look at Jimmy Haslam and you're like, well yeah, you're basically just putting all the power and all the control on Paul D. Podesta, hoping that this hire works out because it aligns with what you want. And eventually the general manager that you want. And so if it doesn't work after a year, what do they fire Paul D. Podesta next? Is that, is that where this is going? If the visionary of this whole thing doesn't work out, it's just the whole thing. It's just, it's crazy to me when you look at the Browns and how at times inept they, they act or how they contradictory they sound. I mean, didn't Haslam say he wanted a head coach with NFL experience? This was basically the context of our emergency podcast. It's not like we don't know who Kevin Stefanski is going to be. Now, look, he's handsome. Seems like he could be a good leader. Likes play action passes. What actor does coach. he look like? George Clooney. Is it Clooney? It's Clooney. I thought he, you know, he the looks Browns like, who, who's the guy who plays Superman? The guy who plays Superman with a beard. I think he looks more like him. The Browns went from Chris Henry Farley Cavill. and George Clooney. 
Nice. Is that a Henry it. Cavill? Yeah. You got it. By um, the way, uh, let me one more thing quickly. I, I I wanted to make the Freddie Kitchens joke, and then then uh, I got I got Brady. Freddie Outhouse. So I, I, I do want to say this about. By the way, Britson steals Freddie Outhouse on HQ now. Doesn't give me credit, but whatever. So I wanted to say this about analytics. Um, and I think this is an issue. Like in previous life, I was a stats and econ guy before I became uh, to the world of football. And the hardest part was sort of relaying your stats-based message to people who don't give a crap about stats. And I think the delivery in which the sort of stats nerds crowd uh, come off is what rubs people the wrong way probably more than anything else. Not so much the message, just the fact that they can come across as condescending and um, it's this way or the highway. And as Brady pointed out, this this isn't new. NFL teams have been collecting data for as long as they've been they've been playing football games. And I, I think in terms of the frustration that, that fans feel, especially especially the analytics based fans, it basically comes down to this: when Jason Garrett punts on fourth and two every single time and, and kicks eighty five yard field goals, they get frustrated. Otherwise, for the most part, and sometimes the time management issues at the end of the first or second half if you're Andy Reid, everyone agrees with most other things, I feel like. There's some questions about the play calling and the running game and all that. But we've seen with Kyle Shanahan and um, and John Harbaugh, you can run the ball and be successful, and that doesn't mean you're anti-analytics. John Harbaugh is one of the most analytics-based coaches, uh, you know, the next hot thing if you ask the analytics crowd. But I think more than anything else, it's the delivery and, and the sort of the condescension people feel when they're being – they feel like they're being talked down to. And I know what these guys are talking about. I, I spent a lot of my life like studying stats and econ, but even I'm like, all right, what are we doing? This isn't helping anyone. It's sort of making things worse. Yeah, and, and I think the other thing you have to look at too, and this, this is one of the reasons why I have a hard time with you know people deriving too much, is that, and I've, I've used this phrase I think, with you guys before, it's called resulting, right? So resulting is using the outcome of an event to then determine future decision-making, and, and it's not, that's kind of skewed because – like, for example, um, you know, you talked about John Harbaugh and going for fourth downs. Well, so Lamar Jackson in the divisional round goes for multiple fourth downs. They don't get any of them. In, in fact, the one quarterback sneak, I'm not sure what that was. I don't know if he was just trying to create after he realized that everyone got sub, submarine underneath him and he needed to find a hole and he couldn't find anything. But um, let's say, for example, that play worked out. He somehow ended up finding his way of getting a first down. That doesn't make it a good play call. That doesn't mean that you actually should have went for it based on how that play worked out just because of the result. In fact, like he just happened to be a better player in that situation. So um, that's the hard part is when you actually look at and dive into it, it's a tool. It's not something that can, you can purely base it off of because when you go back and watch that game, you're like, no, actually, our offensive line was getting their ass kicked by the defensive front, Jeffrey Simmons and, and Jarrell Casey in particular on the interior of that defensive line, and, and we couldn't run the wall. We couldn't do much. And so maybe it doesn't make quite as much sense because that matchup isn't working for us today, and we're not having much success even though we were 8 for 8 during the course of of, of the regular season utilizing that strategy. Yeah, so like not to keep – I know we got to wrap this podcast up. But um, I got in this one of the arguments that I got in with with uh, some of the PFF guys because they were like, there's a video out there. The PFF guys talking about Green Bay and Seattle and they're like, defense doesn't matter. It's like, well, that's not true. And, the, and, the, and like their point was that the offense dictates to the defense what happens. Yeah, no crap. That's why it's called defense. You're on the defensive like you are being dictated to by the team with the football. But the concept that like and then like uh, I don't remember what was PFF George or whoever it was is like, well, it's like, can you really credit the Packers with the pressures? It's like pressure. Pressure is a quarterback stat. I was like that. That's not I mean, like you I agree with I agree with what the study that you guys did that quarterbacks holding the football does that quarterbacks deserve some 
blame for pressures and for sacks. But to say that pressure is a quarterback-driven stat entirely is a really bad way to push people away from embracing the concept of looking at stats in a different way because pressure is not just a quarterback-driven stat. When Jacob Hollister is lined up one-on-one with Darius Smith and yeah. he gets – toasted and Russell Wilson gets lit up within three seconds or like within one second of catching the football. That's not a quarterback driven stat. Okay. Like my eyes are telling me that it's not. And like, that's just factually. And so the idea that defense doesn't matter when individual, when individual matchups in singular games play such a big role, like the Seahawks offensive line was demolished with injuries. So of course defense matters. Of course gameplay, like the Seahawks can't just dictate whatever they want to them. The defense dictated you better pass the ball if you want to beat us and the Seahawks didn't do that. So to me, like the, we just get too, I agree with Ryan, you get too much condescension. We get too, too carried away with all this stuff and it needs to be better blended when we're discussing it. I agree. Whew, man. I got a lot. No, I, look, I, I'm not going to go at the guys at PFF because they, they try to do a good job with what they're they trying to job. accomplish. They, no, they do. And, and there's a bunch of people who do a good job of doing it. Um, the, the problem is, again, you're trying, trying to, you know, derive a, a predicted outcome, uh, based on everything that you're adding up and, and then try to, you know, create some sort of way of digesting, uh, and factoring in all these different variables. That's the hard part, man. That's why it's football. That's why you've got to watch it. And that's why watching the game gives you a different feel for it than looking at a PFF grade or, or anything else, or even whether it's a QB rating or whatever else. Like our eyes, and when we watch the game, it tells us whether or not that guy's playing well or whether or not he's had a great game. Um, the box score won't always, you know, the quarterback rating or some of the grade won't. And, and that's why, again, uh, as much as we'll try to do it, you know, football is a perfect game because it's imperfect. And there's so many different variables that can go into play and so many different matchups, as you touched on, Will, uh, that make it hard to to really isolate something and then try to get, like, a true value from that. Um, there's just so many things that factor into it. So I, I'm not sure how we got on this tangent, but um, I'm, I'm glad we at least addressed it. I am, too. That was a good talk. Um, okay, so do we just put a bow on it? Do we need to tackle Debo said to um, one last roundup on the national championship. Did we miss anybody? Did I anything else you want to tack on the LSU Clemson game, or we just get out of here? Um, just, single greatest season ever for a college football player. I'll go ahead and say that. I don't think it's hyperbole. I think it's legit. Uh, greatest college football team ever. If you look at the path who they beat to get there, I don't know that that's necessarily a stretch. Um, I, I think you got to be careful how you phrase it, though, because. You know, you're going to have a lot of first round picks and a lot of talent on this LSU team. Probably not as much as the Miami team or some of the teams throughout history. Um, but I think it's, I think for this single season, given them as many top 10 teams they beat and the dominance in which they showed, I don't know that that's a stretch in saying that. Um, am I wrong? Uh, no. And you know, what was hilarious and so predictable is that Pete Prisco is like our buddy Pete's like, what about the 1978 USC Trojans? It's like, dude, I mean, look, I, I'm not doubting that team. They're great. But like, <laughs> like, do you think that team, like if, like, do you think that team is running roughshed over Isaiah Simmons? <laughs> like, like, those athletes didn't exist in 78. I mean, the, the type of human being on the field is so vastly different and the offense is so different that, and maybe, maybe you disagree, Brady or Ryan, but I mean, like, I, I think it would be a laugh, right? No, I, I saw Pete tweet that and I thought, I just wish he hadn't tweeted it, even if he believes it, because you know the blowback is going to be fast and furious. And, of course, it was. But to Pete's credit, he defended it. And, look, he was around in 78 uh, to watch that game, and he sounds like he thoroughly enjoyed it. I think Marcus Allen was on that team. So, yeah, I'll, I'll give was, you that. Was it, the juice that, not on that team? 
Juice was on the team. No, the so was Marcus Allen. Was he? No, no. The Juice was in in Buffalo in the early seventies. Right. right. So he, Juice was okay. gone. He was gone. He was long. Yeah, but um. So like, yeah. So their their top receiver on that team was Calvin Sweeney. Hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, he topped out at six hundred forty four receiving yards and two touchdowns that year. I'm sure this off. I mean, look, Marcus Allen's a legendary player, and I actually think Marcus Allen would be good in today modern NFL. But like LSU's defense, I mean, Stingley's St- going to lock down Calvin Sweeney. Right? I mean, we all agree on that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's it. That's the show. That's a Brady Quinn football show. What a great show. <laughs> what a great show. I'm laughing at Debo's last comment, which you cannot read out loud on the air. <laughs> cannot. Um, one time. <laughs> I was, uh, oh god, who, um, no, I'm drawing a blank. Anyway, I was, I, I got to interview, uh, Marcus Allen at the Super Bowl one time in New York, and, um, and it was, a, it was, a, it was a fun interview, just suffice to say. Um, and Eric Dickerson, Eric Dickerson photobombed it, which was really, he popped in, he goes, what are you doing up here, mom? And I was like, whoa, what the, it's got photobombed by Eric Dickerson, now cool. Uh, it was me and Matt Bronson, great story. Anyway, and then I found 20 bucks. So let's get out of here. Great show. Brady Quinn Football Show. Ryan Wilson, Will Vinson. Subscribe, rate, and review. We've got so many podcasts. Talk to you guys later. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.